Well, friends, you are <clears throat> listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM and Radio Cape Pulpit 729 AM with me. Thank you very much to those that have been uh, engaging uh, and even sending in a couple of questions and <laughs> questions to get us started. I really appreciate that. I think I mentioned Penny, uh, who says hi, Teresa, as well as Natasha, um, and Nikki Loff, who says uh, good morning, table talk from Nikki in Eldorado Park. Uh, there's others that are listening in. Uh, Vil- uh, Vilmina has, uh, has a question. It is in Afrikaans and it is quite long. Vilmin, I will have to read that very slowly and in all likelihood oh, okay I, I do see that there is English uh, you've got an English uh, uh, underneath uh, it's a little bit long for me to uh, engage with uh, uh, live on air immediately but I will go back and take a look at that maybe during the break Teresa says good morning my question is regarding deliverance uh, it is increasing and becoming popular in South Africa where thousands are being delivered in churches ministry uh, and then uh, maybe there's a name of a ministry uh, focus on deliverance uh, more than preaching the gospel and my question relates to the scripture where demons come back seven times stronger once the house um, once the body has been uh, swept um, and um, uh, uh, swept clean I'm worried for these people thanks Teresa Teresa we will listen uh, and engage with your question shortly I see there is a voice note from Ingrid I am going to ask Vusi the technical controller if he can just listen to that or if he if we have the ability to play that and uh, engage with that voice note uh, Jenny says uh, good morning it's my day off and I'm so happy to be able to be listening and God bless Jenny glad that you are listening in as well I have no doubt that there's a couple of other people who have their day off today that are listening into Radio Pulpit as they go about their morning chores and their morning tasks it's great to have you with us as well and Barbara says how can I convince uh, Catholics that there is no purgatory so they don't pray and pay for masses to get family members out of purgatory Barbara great question so we've got a question on deliverance a question on purgatory Uh, we'll take that one up uh, a little bit later um, yeah, so uh, thanks for those two questions to get us started. You might be sitting there right now, listening in to a uh, uh, listening into the show and, and thinking to yourself, I too <laughs> would like to. Um, uh, uh, I too would like to send in a question. How might I do it? Let me tell you how you can do it. You can play. Uh, voice notes you can send in a voice note you can send that in via whatsapp or telegram you can send in a note via whatsapp or telegram i'll give you the number shortly um if you are on facebook there is a live stream currently on the radio pulpit radio pulpit uh, did i say radio pulpit <laughs> radio console facebook page and uh, you can just drop a comment there that comes up straight on my dashboard in front of me uh, that would be the second way let me give you that whatsapp telephone number it is 0826572729 that's how you would send in questions this morning we're going to be engaging with the two questions let's just listen to the voice note from ingrid first good morning pastor uh, mark i need to understand something a friend of mine uh, said that the holy spirit could leave a true believer and she used king saul as um, her reasoning why she said it 
Could you please comment on what was said? Thank you, Ingrid. Ah, uh, Ingrid, what an excellent question. Guys, really love the questions that have come in so far. So we've got a question on purgatory. We have a question on deliverance ministry, and we've got a question on Holy Spirit leaving believers. Um, well, where to start? Let's let's uh, let's kick off with the uh, the conversation around purgatory. The the first the first reality that we've got to talk about is is what is purgatory. Um, my understanding uh, from from reading uh, Catholic literature is that they understand purgatory to be a place or a condition of temporal punishment for those who departing this life in God's grace are not entirely free from venal faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions full stop I mean basically uh, in a nutshell purgatory is a place that the Christian soul goes to pay off after death whatever wasn't satisfied in terms of God's wrath um, during life now there is so much about that which is concerning from a doctrinal perspective. Let me start off by unpacking it um, in terms of the word atonement. When we talk about the word atonement, we really mean in terms of simple definition, a covering up of sin, a, a covering of sin, or, or a paying of sin. Uh, we Baptists have a hymn. I have no doubt that Methodists and Presbyterians sing it as well. It's it's well loved. It's a beloved hymn. We sing Jesus paid it all. Uh, our understanding in terms of the atonement that Jesus paid on the cross is that he paid it all. He paid every single last iota of debt that my sins deserved <laughs> that Jesus on the cross as he cried out before he offered up his life he cried out it is finished and our understanding is it truly was finished the wrath of God had been satisfied by his son on the cross as he died for the sins of mankind like let me make this uh, let me make this kind of um, factual I was I've recently been reading through the book of Colossians um, so you guys would have heard um, me talking about the book of Colossians quite a bit um, Colossians chapter 2 in verse 8 through to verse 15 would contain the text that I'm talking about but um, it's really talking about seeing to it that no one takes you camp captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the human tradition according to elemental spirits and by the way the doctrine of purgatory I would say would fall into what verse 8 is talking about it is a human tradition it is not a biblical fact or doctrine which which we can exegete out of God's word which we can see in God's word and therefore we are compelled to believe rather it is a tradition it is an understanding which is injected into God's word but Paul goes on to say of the world not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the 
powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, number one, just in terms of those verses that we have read from the book of Colossians chapter 2 from verse 8 through to verse 15, the emphasis is on the awesomeness of Jesus. This is talking about big Jesus. This is talking about the fact that Jesus is supreme over all. This is triumphant Christ and it's triumphant Christ in his death. And the question is, what has the death of Jesus Christ accomplished according to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 through to verse 15? And the answer is in the text. He has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He has set them aside. He has nailed them to the cross. Friends, the debt has been paid. And praise the Lord it's been paid. Because you could never pay the debt that your sins demand. Even your good works stand like a filthy rag before God. The reality is we needed a righteousness that came from outside of ourselves. Yesterday I was preparing for a church camp, which is kind of coming up soon soon um, in the Central Baptist Church calendar the beginning of September and uh, we're going to be reading through the first four books of the bo- first four books <laughs> listen to me the first th- four chapters of the book of Romans um, and as you read through those first four chapters of the book of Romans they start off with kind of a really scary reality um, the wrath of God is being revealed um, presently and the wrath of God will be revealed against those who are trapped in unrighteousness and sin uh, and this will soon be realized as he comes to judge the living and the dead in fact when we talk about the good news the 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 evangelii the the, the 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 good news of Jesus Christ we have to start off with bad news and the bad news is this God is holy He's separated. He's separated from his creation in that he's transcendent and high above all things. But God is separated from creatures like you and me that that are sinful, that, that have rebelled against him, that stand opposed to him. We don't stand in some kind of gray area just waiting to be good enough to be acceptable with God. There's only two teams here. There's a team of light and there's a team of dark. And man is born by nature into darkness. He is born by nature sinful. He is born by nature rebellious against God, shaking our fist. And, and that's manifest in the way that we live our lives. We sin against God in thought, in word, in deed, in things that we have left undone. Uh, the reality is our sin spills off of us and the stench of it rises up to the very nostrils of God. Psalm 5 verse 5 says something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing, that God hates sin and God hates sinners. What are we to do? Well, the answer is we can't do anything. The reality is if any of you have tried to stop sinning, you will know well (laughs) that it doesn't matter how hard you try, you still sin and you fall short of the glory of God. God is holy. 
not just holy, but the book of Isaiah in chapter 6 reveals that God is holy, holy, holy. To the nth degree, the holiness, the separation of God from sin is made evident um, in that book of Isaiah. How then might we be saved? Uh, we cry out for salvation. We are desperate for salvation. If we are to be saved, it must come from outside of ourselves. And so God presents our Savior. And it's a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes into this world and he lives the life that you and I didn't live. He's tempted in every way and yet without sin. I was reading one of the Puritans uh, this past week. In actual fact, I was reading a man that was commenting on the Puritans, Dane Ortland. Uh, he wrote a book um, uh, gentle and lowly and he was reading a Puritan Thomas Goodwin and he was commenting on this reality that Jesus Christ has been tempted and yet he's tempted in a way that we aren't tempted because we kind of get tempted by degree let's say we get to 50% and then we cop out because in reality our sin nature loves sin more than it loves God and we fail um, over and over again but Jesus Christ was tempted in every way but he wasn't tempted to 50% because he didn't stop <laughs> the bar just kept on going high his temptations would have been felt in 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 exponentially increased in intensity as he withstood the temptations of Satan we we see something of those temptations even in the wilderness as he is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights however we we are talking about purgatory and we're talking about Jesus Christ Jesus comes into this world he lives a perfect life and then he goes to a cross and he dies not for his sins he dies as the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He dies for sins he didn't commit. He dies for my sin and for your sin. He lays down his life as a substitute, the righteous for the unrighteous, a, a sinless sacrifice for sinners such as you. And then we hit the book of Colossians chapter 2. He cancels out the debt and he doesn't do it in part. He does it in full because Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay 80% and left 20% for me to pay. He, he didn't pay 95% of the debt and leave 5% for me to pay. Jesus paid it all and so all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. He has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. When we start to talk about purgatory, we need to start by talking about the atonement, what Jesus Christ did on the cross and what Jesus Christ actually accomplished on the cross and whether or not Jesus was truthful as he cried out on the cross, it is finished. The good news <laughs> is it was finished. The good news is that Jesus drank the last dregs of the poison chalice that you that belonged to you and I. So, with that in mind, with the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the debt, where then do we stand before God? When we die, will we need to go to a place of not so much endless torment, but a place where we might be tormented for million and millions of years in order to satisfy some remaining wrath that God has for our sins? The answer, friends, 
is no. <laughs> the answer is that Jesus, in Christ, we have salvation. And it's a present salvation. It's a salvation which was achieved when we were sa- when Christ died on the cross for our sins. Um, we have been declared righteous, justified by the death of Christ. It's a salvation which has presently been worked out in our lives as we are moved from one degree of holiness to the next, progressively sanctified toward the image, toward the mature man, toward the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next. And it is a salvation which will be experienced in perfection when we die and when we are given glorified bodies and when we are reconciled to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I can't wait. In fact, with Christians from all ages, I say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Uh, We look forward to that day. This is why Jesus on the cross, as he was being crucified, could turn to the sinful sod that was being crucified next to him, a man that wasn't dying as a substitute, a man that was dying with just cause, uh, a sinner, a thief, a robber, um, whatever sins he had been found guilty of that required capital punishment, he, he was dying for his sins. And as he died, he was literally with another man on the other cross, literally hurling abuse at Jesus Christ. This wasn't a nice guy. He was hurling abuse at the Son of God. And yet as he died on the cross, something happened as he observed the way that Jesus was suffering. As he listened maybe to some of the words that Jesus was saying, as the Holy Spirit moved in his heart, he saw something in Christ that he hadn't seen before. He saw a king and he says to Jesus, even as he himself is dying, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus could rightly say, today you will be with me in paradise. No need for purgatory, no need to pay off a debt, no need to satisfy uh, existing wrath or remaining wrath. No, my friend, (laughs) today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise him for this lamb. I I mean, this is why we are going to be celebrating. I mean, this might have been a longer answer to a question than what you anticipated. Um, Who asked that question? I don't think it was Teresa. It wasn't Ingrid. uh, It wasn't Jenny. It was Barbara. Barbara, maybe a little bit of a longer answer than what you were expecting. But but, but Barbara, when we understand the, the atonement, when we understand what Jesus Christ has laid down for us, how he has paid this great debt that we owe, and, 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 how, and how, how much we therefore should be marveling and, and praising him, this is why all heaven will be declaring his glories forever and ever and ever i'm i'm reminded uh, in the book of uh, revelation uh, uh, and i'm sure you guys know it as well in in revelation um in chapter 5 uh, as jesus christ is given the scroll um uh, they they're looking around in heaven <laughs> for someone who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals and nobody can be found and john himself who is recording the, this vision this the, this revelation he's weeping and he's weeping loudly because no one can be found and then one of the elders says to him weep no more and behold 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And then he goes on to record the, the glorious and rapturous praise in in heaven. A, a new song sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for, from, uh, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then a little later, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures say amen and the elders fell down and worshipped and friends even this morning sitting talking into a microphone my heart is raised to worship Jesus Christ because he truly is worthy. The lamb who was slain has paid it all. He's paid everything. What need would there be to invent a place where we might go to pay anything else? Uh, it's a wicked thought. It's a wicked thought. Um, it detracts from Jesus Christ and from the work that he has done. It, it takes away from the atonement. It, it gives glory to man. It, it puts salvation. <laughs> it puts sovereignty in man. We end up saving ourselves. Jesus did a bit. I did the rest. I deserve to be in heaven. No, my friend, Jesus paid it all. I'm really built up. I'm I'm grateful for the question, Barbara. I hope that that answered you. Um, there are there are more um uh, realities that you might need to consider. Uh, you might need to go and consider a couple of verses, uh, read them up for yourselves, uh, and 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 wrap your mind around them. One Corinthians chapter three verse fifteen is a passage which might be appealed to. Um, it's a passage which is talking of a judgment. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and and you need to wrap your mind around that text and what it is saying. It is certainly not speaking about um, purgatory. Um, it's talking about um, escaping through flames, not being cleansed by flames. Um, it's not talking about purgatory at all. It's related to the work that we do here on earth, whether it is wood or hay or straw, or whether it is precious jewels and stones and and what what reward we will receive in heaven. Um, it's not talking about this idea of payment. Um, you know, this idea of, of purgatory has been so abused by the church through the ages. I'm, I'm just looking at the time. I see we're coming up for 10 o'clock in like eight minutes time. And I'm, I'm wondering if the rest of the questions uh, that, that I have can be answered in, in just a few minutes. So uh, I think rather let me just uh, um, uh, talk a little bit around purgatory. Um, in terms of church history, purgatory has been terribly abused um, um, by uh, uh, elements of the church. I think of a, a man in the 1500s, John Tetzel, um, who made famous, whether or not he coined it or whether or not he even necessarily used it, um, but made famous this idea of of paying to get your loved ones out of purgatory. It became a mechanism for raising funds for the church. So, you know, if there's a place called purgatory that you go and you need to pay off 
uh, your your the remaining wrath uh, that resides against you for a, a, a period of time, then John Tetzel and others um, would sell what is called an indulgence, a, a special um, declaration to spring people out of purgatory a little bit quicker. They came up with a, a, a little phrase, when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. They would kind of go from village to village throughout Europe and they would set up a in fact this was at a time that uh, St. Peter Basilica was was being built um, and uh, just the cost was astronomical and so the church had borrowed money from from Swiss bankers and they needed to pay it back and so the mechanism that they used to pay it back was indulgences they would sell these indulgences they would they would go into villages they would set up a little platform and uh, the guy that was responsible for 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 calling would 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 kind of trumpet and they'd bring the town folk in there would be there'd be coffers there'd be uh, kind of like places that you could put money into uh, and he would and he would give uh, not a sermon but 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 this conversation uh, about your your loved ones being in purgatory and, and there's something that you can do to help them. You can buy an indulgence which was a church sanctioned statement that said if you put down X amount of money you would be able to redeem X amount of sin um, from a person's life and then they would have this refrain, when the coin in the coffer rings the soul from purgatory springs. This is what um sparked the Protestant Reformation um, as uh, these indulgence sellers got closer and closer and started to move their way through Germany a little monk and I say little monk because he was a, a short bald guy uh, named Martin Luther but obstinate at times as well named Martin Luther heard about these indulgences and just recognized that this was this was not godly this was not biblical this was not good for men's souls it gave them a false hope um, that ultimately God wasn't being glorified from this and people were being enriched and it was wrong and he wrote what are called the 95 um, thesis and pinned them um hammered them um pinned them to the uh the 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 doors of the castle keep in Wittenberg uh, which is where if you wanted to have academic discourse you would uh, you would put your your thesis your ideas and and Martin Luther put 95 ideas 95 abuses that he saw in terms of the church in terms of popery and in terms of indulgences and in terms of all of these things and pinned them to the wall and uh, what happened is because the printing press had just been invented, uh, these 95 theses were printed over and over again and they were distributed throughout the whole of Europe and like wildfire um, protest against um, church, um, uh, what, what might you call it, um, over, I was going to say overindulgence, but that just relates to the word that I've been using, uh, excess um, started to happen and the Protestant Reformation started from there. Martin Luther, in terms of the Lutheran church, uh, would have come from, from that event and later the the Reformation, the Reformed Church in Geneva um, uh, with uh, John Calvin and under John Calvin, John Knox studied and he went across to Scotland and birthed uh, uh, the the Scottish church, uh, the Presbyterian church and as the Presbyterians pushed down into England, the Anglican church was birthed and amongst all of that over that period, tumultuous times of wars and uh, all kinds of pain and problems um, through that uh, 
Baptist sprang. A Puritan sprang, got on boats and went across to the United States. And and uh, over time, Baptists from both Europe and from England planted churches in South Africa. And uh, and uh, and and from those works, I heard the gospel and was saved. Praise the Lord for people that stand against bad Bible teaching, <laughs> and for those who 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 call on. Um, who call for protest against bad Bible teaching. Friends, um, that does bring us really close to the top of the hour. Um, We are going to have a musical interlude. We're going to listen to a couple of supporters in terms of uh, adverts. Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to listen to Deborah and uh, the song is Singing Glory Hallelujah. I will join you for the second hour of the show coming up shortly. It is good to be with you for the second hour of the show. I see it's five past ten. That means we've got about 55 minutes left of Bible questions and answers. I really, really do enjoy um, just the variety of questions that you guys uh, have uh, that we get to deal with on a Friday. I think it is indicative of the reality that you are living out your Christian lives in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, there's all kinds of rubbish that we are exposed to. And so the questions are diverse because because you guys are really active. And so I, I really do want to encourage you. Uh, I am certainly encouraged by you. Uh, a couple of people commenting or um, engaging and interacting. I see you, Benita. I see you, Jesse. I see you, Cheslin. I see you, George. I see you, uh, Lub- uh, Lubunga. Um, good morning, Pastor Mark. Thanks, Teresa, with these three questions. Appreciate that. One related to um, polygamy, one related to defra- uh, defrauding of your prize in Colossians chapter 2, and one related to dying to Christ to the elemental spirits in Colossians chapter 2. Thank you very much for your questions every week, Teresa. I appreciate your patience as well because uh, sometimes we do answer other people's questions before we get to yours but uh, I love that you listen in brother oh, and just maybe to encourage you Teresa my, my wife actually follows you on Facebook and she's going to be using something that you posted in a ladies talk uh, coming up uh, in the next couple of months time uh, good morning to your station I'm listening to you says uh, Mantla uh, Ranu says Amen Jesus uh, Cookie uh, I'm going to read your, uh, your comment uh, thank you so much for it good morning to you Pastor Mark God bless you. I want to say I was really blessed by your message on Sunday morning. Maybe just to step in there and and give a brief edit. Um, The Sunday sermon on Radio Pulpit is um, scheduled from 8 o'clock until 9 o'clock and it coincides with the sermon that was preached the previous week at Central Baptist Church. So it's a recorded message. It goes out on Radio Pulpit at 8 o'clock on a Sunday. Uh, Really grateful to those who are following it, whether you're listening live, whether you're streaming it, um, or whether you're listening to it on podcast. It's podcast to rono.fm. You can type in Radio Pulpit Sunday sermon i'm sure that will give get get it to you um but cookie goes on to say i totally agree with what you said about us not needing smoke machines fancy lights and such works (laughs) maybe i should give some context we've been looking at a a um 
what's the right word, a series, um, which is looking at the markers in the book of Acts, the markers that Luke uses in the book of Acts. They're always related to to really church growth and church triumph. Uh, you might be aware at the um, in the middle, not in the middle, toward the end of Acts chapter 2, you get the first one. It says that those who believed were baptized in that day, 3,000 were added to their number. Uh, that is in verse, I'm going to go with 41. And then in verse 47, it reads, and the Lord added daily those who are being saved. And so Luke continues um, through the book of Acts. Now those relate to church growth. I'm, I'm joyfully in a church that is growing. Um, uh, both uh, the Hill Campus as well as Arcadia have been experiencing some really wonderful growth. Um, uh, the Arcadia Campus, which is on Francis Bart Street uh, down the road from the radio pulpit offices in actual fact um, the, the numbers have, have almost doubled from when I arrived in January to where we are now it's, it's an exciting period and there's <laughs> you know just um, obviously uh, believers are greatly encouraged and so I was interested to know um, what the Bible said about church growth. And I went to the book of Acts and, and just found it fascinating. The church grows as the gospel is proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. The church grows as the Lord adds to the, its number in Acts chapter 2 at the end. Uh, the church grows as the church is organized in, cha- in Acts chapter 6, for instance. The church grows as God purifies the church. And uh, we need to talk about even church discipline um, in our church. Uh, that's Acts chapter 5 and then last week I, I was in uh, uh, Acts chapter 11 I, I, I think uh, 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 Cookie and uh, in Acts chapter 11 the church grows um, uh, first in, in the process of peace in Acts chapter 10 and then in the process under persecution in Acts chapter 11 but it's the most uh, and, sorry other way around it's the most amazing thing how, how God grows his church despite the circumstances that it finds itself in and uh, the point was was that church growth in the book of Acts, surprise, surprise, doesn't come <laughs> through uh, smoke machines, fancy lights, and uh, electric guitars. Although, I mean, I don't in principle have a problem with an electric guitar, <laughs> maybe with a smoke machine and uh, and funny lighting. But 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 in reality, God uses um, what might be considered really basic to grow His church: fidelity to Scripture. And uh, fidelity to living our lives according to Scripture. Um, That's what God uses. Uh, And He uses people. He uses people like you and me um, to grow His church as we take the gospel out into the world around us. Cookie goes on to say, as we can now see more than ever, we need to be grounded in the word. Amen, Cookie. Thank you, Pastor Mark. And uh, Cookie uh, writes in from Boxburg, looking forward to this Sunday's message. Uh, Me too. I, I, I enjoyed preaching the the message on Sunday. Vanna says, uh, good morning. A lot of people are saying that God is testing me today. Well, I'm reminded by James 1, 13 to 15, saying that our flesh tempts us and that God is blameless in this. Is it sometimes fair to say that God is testing us in faith? And if so, then when? Um, thanks, Vanna, for that question. I'm going to add that to the list. And I do see um, uh, uh, that... Uh, 
Teresa has added a, a comment. I see a number of other comments have come in. Uh, Mav- Mavis says, Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise be to God most high, for he is worthy to be praised in Jesus' mighty name. It's all in caps, which I'm assuming means, Mavis, you are shouting this out in joy with lots of emoticons. <laughs> so I'm, I'm praising the Lord for you. My soul was really, really uh, lifted. Uh, Shalom, I see your message. It's in Afrikaans. I'm going to need to decode it. Uh, Maybe during a break or after the show um, uh, I, I need to read Afrikaans very slowly In order to understand it well uh, Andre says uh, Thank God for Martin Luther And yet uh, we still see people Even currently still using bad doctrine Another gospel to make money Of unsuspecting believers The enemy has a field day With human beings deceitful hearts It's true Andre um, Whereas um, the, uh, you know, At the time of the 1500s uh, The Catholic Church was selling in and the Protestant church emerged in protest against that. Today, we see the prosperity gospel abounding in our country. We see men in shiny shoes with little pocket square handkerchiefs and smart suits and uh, million-dollar smiles and fancy haircuts telling their congregations that the way to health, wealth, and happiness is to sow a seed and God is then obligated to give back um, uh, X-fold. Um, utter rubbish. They devalue God into a vending machine that you would put a little bit of money into and get a Coke from. Um, they devalue God into something he never intended himself to be devalued into. Um, they make God subject to mankind. That's where they bring God down to. Um, it's sick and it's sad and it's wrong. And we as the church must protest against it. Uh, we must identify when there are excesses. Uh, and we must call out that which is wrong. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Janice uh, says, Morning Pastor Mark, love your program. My question to you is, can we communicate with the dead? Now, I'm remembering, we're stacking up questions because uh, as I go up, there's just questions. There's lots and lots more questions. Marlene says, good morning, Pastor Mark. Thanks for teaching us more about the word. And uh, I see you, uh, Perinka and uh, Ronaldo, uh, who have uh, dropped comments. Uh, let's see if we can go about answering some of these questions that have come in. First of all, um, in terms of uh, communicating with the dead, Janice, um, God's word makes it very, very clear that we are not to be involved in the communication uh, with the dead under any circumstances whatsoever. Now, this prohibition is made clear in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We are not to pray to the dead. We are not to communicate to the dead. We are not to engage with the dead in any way. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 11, for instance, um, it says that, uh, or Deuteronomy chapter 18 uh, in general, I, I never spelled Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, right? I, I always get the U and the E mixed up. I did it again now, which is I'm slowing up uh, my ability to get to the chapter. Yeah, you go. It's opening up in my Bible. Um, it says abominable practices from verse nine uh, in chapter eighteen of Deuteronomy. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. They shall not be found among you. Anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering 
anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a, so a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord and because of these abominations the Lord your God is driving them out before you you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess listen to fortune tellers and diviners but as for you the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this you can mark that in your Bible there's a whole passage which talks around many of these aspects whether it be divination whether it be sorcery whether it be fortune telling whether it be the interpretation of omens whether it be charmers or mediums or necromancers that's involvement with the dead or one who inquires from the dead this is something that we are barred from doing uh, elsewhere in God's word um, we get the same um, the same understandings um, uh, it is unfaithfulness to the Lord in reality uh, unfaithfulness to the Lord um, and maybe just to say um, I think of uh, Jesus Christ's um, parable. It might not be a parable. It might be a, a true story. It does have in it um, maybe a, a sense of uh, of literacy, um, literacy rather than parabolic form. Uh, the story of Lazarus, because he's actually named most of Jesus' parables. You, you don't see the naming uh, of the characters. He tries to keep them as general as possible. But uh, Lazarus and the poor man, a, a rich man who dies, and a poor man. I mean, a man who is really dirt poor, uh, sat outside his gates begging for alms. Uh, the bottom line is they both die. The one goes to Abraham's bosom, the, the poor man. Um, and that's immediate, by the way. You'll notice no purgatory, talking back to the last hour of the show. The other one goes to a, a temporal a temporal place uh, where he waits for final judgment. And he begs Moses to go back and to speak to his brothers, to warn them um, that, uh, that, that he is in torment so that they don't follow the same path. And the answer given to him is that there's a great chasm between the living and the dead, a chasm which cannot be crossed. And anyway, even if you could speak to the dead and find out from the dead, even if you had that ability, uh, we have a better witness. We have the scriptures which attest to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have no need uh, to speak to the dead. Uh, uh, that seems to come out uh, in that parable uh, to one degree or another um, yeah uh, thanks for that question um, uh, from Janice um, uh, uh, yeah that was uh, from Andre and from Christian and from uh, Dalen uh, good morning Mark I thank God for pastors and teachers like you well thank you that's a great encouragement be blessed always in Christ and that's from uh, I'm going to go with Dylan um, Penny says uh, hi again I have a question regarding something that has been greatly troubling me for a long time it is regarding predestination as I understand it God in his foreknowledge knows who will become his children I listened to a sermon by R.C. Sproul where he says that God chooses who will become born again Christians he says God is not fair but rather that God is just and he chooses whom he will bestow his mercy upon so if God is not chosen a loved one of mine he or she has no hope of salvation please help me to understand this well Penny um, you haven't pegged a passage to the question but rather a heart and so uh, let me answer it like this um, it is a great comfort that God chooses any 
<laughs> because Penny, you will know even of yourself, if God had not chosen you, you would not have chosen for him. The reality is God comes to us. Um, he is like that good shepherd in the parable uh, who, for the sake of the one sheep, leaves the 99 and goes and seeks him and finds him. And when he brings him back, there is great rejoicing, even in heaven. He's like that that uh, uh, that widow who goes out in search for that lost coin. Um, God is good uh, in that he chooses us because we certainly wouldn't have chosen him um in those parables the coin didn't choose the widow <laughs> and the sheep didn't choose to come back to the shepherd but praise the lord that the shepherd found the sheep and the widow found the coin um maybe also to say that the the doctrine of predestination is hard stamped into uh, pretty much all of scripture you, you see it right from the old testament uh, this idea of choosing uh, choosing corporately uh, in terms of the nation of israel from all the nations of the world god chose one nation and he didn't choose them because they were great in fact he describes them in the old testament in tragic terms stiff-necked obstinate um really difficult bunch of people but god chose them not because they were great God chose them because God is great and because he is awesome and because he is loving and because it's his heart to save people um, uh, to carry on um, not only did God choose uh, the nation of Israel but God has a chosen Messiah the person Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior and uh, not only that uh, we read that even before the foundations of the world God chooses us. Uh, that's a great comfort. It's a great comfort to know that we are chosen by God. But a troubling question that we have is then what about loved ones and those that we care deeply for? Um, uh, what if God didn't choose them? Well, the truth is we don't know God's sovereign will. He has chosen to keep that hidden from him. Um, and uh, election certainly is within the sovereign will of God. Uh, we don't have a clear understanding of what that is on the side of eternity. Um, but what we are given is a task. Our task is a commission. It's given by Jesus Christ. It's given at the end of Matthew chapter 28. And it's given in the form of an imperative command. Um, it's made up of four parts. <laughs> One command made up of four parts. The command is this, make disciples. Jesus says, go and th go therefore. Uh, the therefore is because all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. Uh, he, 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 he says that to his disciples. He's on a mountain. He appears to many, many. Um, most worship him, some doubt. Um, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he then says, go therefore and make disciples. That's the main verb. Uh, that's the command. We are to make disciples. That's what we're to do in this world. And we're to do it by three participles. There's three ways that this making of disciples is described at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Number one, we're to do it by going. Number two, we're to do it by baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number three, we are to do it by teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus gives a promise. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You can hear I first read that in the King James. James, right because I had a low <laughs> behold I will always be with you um, Jesus says here's the point the point is that we are commissioned to 
share the gospel message as broadly, as widely as we possibly can. And that certainly will be to our family and our friends. We do not know who God has elected, but we do know how God has chosen to save people. God has chosen by his own goodwill and pleasure to save people as the gospel message is proclaimed. The the gospel message is simple. Jesus died as a substitute for our sins. Jesus rose in victory over the grave and all men everywhere, therefore, in response to that gospel proclamation, that gospel message, all men everywhere must repent for the forgiveness of sins. Penny, that's our commission. We don't know whom God has chosen to save, but we do know how God has chosen to save them. And so if we love people, our love for them will be demonstrated in this. We will share the gospel with them. Shame on us if we have unsaved moms and dads who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and we fail to share the gospel message with them. Shame on us if we have children that we have given up on. We shared the gospel message with them when they were five but now that they're teenagers and a little rebellious we don't want to have an awkward conversation with them or now that they are out of our lives we think we just need to leave them to live their their life and we pray that God will bring someone else into their life to share the gospel message with them shame on us if we love them so little that we wouldn't give the good news of the gospel the bad news that the wrath of God is leveled against sinners and the good news that the gospel message saves sinners just like them and just like me penny we don't know who god has saved but we do know our part our commissioned part in God's salvation of men and women and that's to share the gospel message with them so number one we must share number two I I don't want to um, uh, deride prayer Um, so I I said previously that we must share the gospel message and we must share the gospel message with people that we love but we must also pray for them the reality is the acceptance of the gospel is a spiritual activity Um, it requires a person who's in darkness (laughs) to look upon the, G- the 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 person of Jesus Christ and see him in a new light see him as as god see him as god making payment for their sins see him as their only savior and then rush to the cross that, that's a spiritual activity and so it's right that we pray for our family for our friends for our co-workers whom we love that that they would see Jesus Christ even as they are hearing the gospel message now this might require a bit of um what's the right word um we to be as harmless as doves and as um uh, not sneaky as snakes uh, as as wise as serpents uh, it might require nuance on our part uh, it might mean that we uh, constantly send to family and friends um really good um gospel uh, material uh, I think uh, I just recently, or actually I don't think it was that recent, time flies, um, but, but, but watched a clip of, of Steve Lawson sharing the gospel. It was an impromptu gospel sharing. Man, it was excellent. And he did it in about 10 minutes. And it was clear and it was concise and it was easy to understand. You know, maybe send that YouTube clip to a family or to a friend. Um, if you've got teenagers that haven't placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. 
go and find Paul Wash's most shocking message ever. If you've listened to that, you can maybe comment on the Facebook thread. In fact, if you've listened to that and you, you're watching this on Facebook, maybe in the Facebook comments, put a link to that YouTube clip. It is incredible. It was aimed at young adults and it was incredibly helpful. It has been used uh, in such diversity by so in so many lives to bring people to Christ and to open their eyes that they might see the person of Jesus. It might require you being very explicit in your sharing of the gospel um, with people. And maybe to say, particularly those of you who are parents, um, don't leave sharing the gospel until your kids are (laughs) teenagers or heaven forbid until your kids are out the house. Strike while the iron is hot. Even from a young age, be sharing the gospel with them over and over that they might understand their great need for a savior and that that savior is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, uh, really, from a young age, if if, if uh, children can be exposed to the person of Jesus Christ, often God uses that in mighty ways um, uh, to his own praise and to his glory. Thanks for that, um, Penny. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm just going back then to Vanna's question, uh, God and testing, God and testing. You know, Vanna, when I went through the book of James, um, I remember that that word testing um, was an interesting translation in that it could it could have gone either way um, in terms of testing. Uh, 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 the the same word could be translated tempting or testing, and uh, testing was a better uh, translation, obviously, over tempting because God doesn't tempt. Um, uh, you know, he, he he doesn't tempt us. Um, but in terms of testing, God certainly does test us. Uh, I think of the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter opens up with that great analogy, and well, I think it's 1 Peter chapter 1, it opens up with that wonderful analogy of, um, or, or, and it's and it's a, it's applied into the context of a church going through immense persecution, a terrible, terrible persecution. Um, you know, Peter's writing toward the end of his life, he's writing at a time where persecution is being ramped up against Christians, um, and the illustration that he uses is that this is a testing, it's a, it's a testing of your faith, and it will just be a short time, it won't uh, it won't be a, a very long time. Um, in, uh, in James chapter 1 verse 13, I've now found the passage, it says, When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, and uh, uh, temptation from sin obviously comes from each person when they're tempted. Uh, is dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That's verse fourteen. Um, so, so you know, how do how do trials then then work, um, uh, and how are we to respond uh, to trials? Well, how we dis- respond to the trials that we that we face in this life. Uh, determine um, their effect upon us. Uh, James in chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under a trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Um, uh, that doesn't mean in any way that the crown of life comes because of a work that you've done withstanding the trial. It means that the, the trial gives proof to where your faith and your confidence is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Um, 
God will never ever do any wrong uh, at all. God is always the opposite of sin. Uh, we're born with a sinful nature, um, and out of that nature, um, our evil and wicked hearts might pull us, might tempt us to sin. But God Himself, who cannot sin, He can't even be tempted by sin. He certainly isn't the source of our temptation. But in terms of testing, in terms of the situations and the circumstances that we bought into, um, God certainly um, is sovereign over all things. And uh, and in light of that sovereignty, um, he, he, he might bring um, matters into our lives which will prove our undying love for Jesus Christ or might strengthen us in our faith. Um, and then also to say that even as God brings... Um, uh, uh, events into our lives and difficulties into our lives he also will give us that which is necessary in order to endure even to the end um, because God is intent on our enduring that we might bring praise and glory to him I'm thinking of the closing words of the book of Jude now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his glorious throne thanks Vanna for that question really appreciate it um, uh, Anks uh, says, uh, uh, or Anks, sorry, not Anks. <laughs> Anks says, uh, morning, Pastor Mark. For anyone who's not clear about God's sovereignty, A.W. Pink wrote a book which is absolutely eye opening The Sovereignty of God. Thank you for a wonderful program. You know, Anks, I, I just want to absolutely um, underline and, uh, and completely uh, 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 say that. Uh, that uh, A.W. Pink's Sovereignty of God is an incredibly good book. Um, I can actually remember reading it one holiday and uh, and wet the pages with my tears as I was going through it. Just absolutely loved it. Uh, Rishi says the reason you failed to share the gospel is because you're more interested in judging the person and collecting tithes and sponsorships um rishi uh, yeah i'm not yet collecting tithes or sponsorships um and i'm not interested in judging a person the the reality is all of man is under judgment um all of man uh, stands rightfully condemned um by god all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and the wages of sin is death we get those two passages from from romans that's not me judging that's just god's word in fact if you turn to the book of romans and you go and take a look uh, at romans chapter 3 i think from verse 10 and onwards you'll see the kinds of sins that and th- that that ultimately stand against each and every one of us and um, paul's point as he comes to the end of that section is that there is no one righteous no not one all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and the verdict against man is clear both jew and gentile each stands condemned ultimately in their own sin the gospel is this jesus came and died for the sins of man he died as a substitute the righteous for the unrighteous he rose from the grave in victory over the over the over death and all men 
everywhere is called upon to forsake their sin, to turn away from their love for this world, from their love for sin, from their love for this, this present life and to cast themselves on the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Believe in him and you will live. Call on the name of the Lord and you will live. Um, profess him as Lord with your mouth. Believe that God, believe that God raised him from the dead in your heart and you will live. I'm trying to work my way back uh, to those original questions, realizing that many people are sending in questions. Um, if I don't get to your questions, I make every effort um, to write answers or to drop um uh, website links uh, for answers uh, after the show um, uh, I'm back now to Teresa uh, my question regarding deliverance uh, it is increasingly becoming popular in South Africa where thousands are being delivered in churches ministries focusing on more on deliverance than preaching the gospel my question relates to the scripture where demons come back seven times stronger uh, once the house uh, the body is swept clean I'm so worried for these people thanks Teresa and so Teresa maybe just on that matter of deliverance um uh, I, uh, I, I, I too share your concerns, um, mainly because as we look at Scripture, we, we don't see anywhere uh, of these deliverance ministries as they are being practiced uh, in some churches today. We do see a reality of um, Satan. We see a reality of the demonic host. We see a reality even of possession. But what we don't see is the kinds of deliverance ministries that we are seeing today. Um, th this idea of um, believers um, being oppressed or possessed by demons and then requiring deliverance um, to one degree of uh, to one degree or another. Um, in actual fact, in, in contrast to that, um, may, maybe just to remind believers that um, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we are given the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He comes into our lives. He is given as a deposit and he is given as an irrevocable gift, a down payment um, uh, even to that great day um, when when Jesus comes again. Um, he is a seal. The idea is of a of a of a letter right you, you you write a letter and I mean like nobody writes letters anymore we send emails but every now and again I will whip out a piece of paper and, and, and write a handwritten letter of importance to family or to a close friend and as I write that letter, when you get to the end, in ancient days, you'd you'd fold the letter up so that it, so that nobody could see the contents. Maybe there was something secret or something important in the letter. Uh, you'd then um, put a blob of wax on the letter so that uh, so that it couldn't be opened without other people seeing that it had been opened. And then, if you were king you would have a signet ring or you would have some kind of emblem which you wore um, on a chain around your neck and you would impress that into the hot wax and that would then seal that the letter was written by you it would be kind of like your signature your mark so that it was obvious that that you had penned the context the contents of the letter within it it was it was verification it was validation um that you are the owner of the words that were said well the holy spirit is given to believers like that he is our seal um it's shameful to think that uh, that the holy spirit could dwell in a body and at the same time a 
demon could possess that body and yet in some of these deliverance ministries um, that's the kind of theology which is being peddled uh, to one degree or another um, I would say that uh, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he doesn't belong to Christ Romans chapter 8 um, verse 9 um, and so maybe to say that um in terms of the fighting of uh, of uh, of the the hosts of demons which i've already acknowledged scripture um uh, scripture acknowledged acknowledges I, I would i would tend to take people first uh, to the book of ephesians to the the final chapters in ephesians where Paul speaks about spiritual warfare and he speaks about spiritual warfare in the context of putting on the armor of God in order to uh, protect oneself against the fiery darts of the devil and as you get to the end of that chapter it becomes very apparent that the armor of God is very closely related uh, to prayer um, to pray and the devil uh, to resist the devil and the devil will flee um, and so uh, I think just you know very practically well then if the Deliverance ministries, as we're seeing them popping up all around us, uh, are invalid. What are valid mechanisms for fighting against demonic oppression? Um, it would start off with with prayer. It would start off with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would start off with an understanding of the Holy Spirit and and how He fights for us, even within us. You can go and take a look at Galatians chapter five in order to see more of that. I'm aware, uh, and and then Teresa, yeah, just to acknowledge, I'm I'm also worried about this, and you are right. Um, Jesus tells that parable of um of uh, the house being swept, um, but when the demons come back, they come back seven times more stronger, uh, because they find this house uh, empty and 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 accessible, um, and just uh, uh, just what we might be setting people up for, and just how dangerous that could be, um. We've answered Barbara's question. I'm I'm looking. There was another question that I said I would answer, and now I'm struggling to find it. Um, it might have been from. Uh, it's got. It's gone. I I can remember what the question was. I can't remember who asked the question. Sorry, guys. Um, and sorry if you're still listening. It was related uh, to uh, can uh, the Holy Spirit um leave a believer. Can a holy can the can the Holy Spirit leave a believer? The answer, the the short answer to that is no. Um, the Holy Spirit will not leave a believer. Um, the Holy Spirit is given as a seal to uh, the day of redemption. Um, Romans eight verse nine tells us that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would indwell us in John chapter fourteen in a way which is and presents Himself in a way which is unique to believers of this age. We have every blessing in that um uh, we can also in in ephesians chapter one uh, read of that sealing of that depositing of that guaranteeing of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in god's uh, possession and that happens really to the praise of his glory in other words god keeps and seals believers until glory because it's for his own glory's sake um 
uh, all believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 says that he has put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. However, prior to Jesus Christ's death, to his resurrection, to his ascension into heaven and then 10 days later to his sending of the Holy Spirit. That's the day of Pentecost, the day that the church was birthed. Um, Prior to that event, um, the Holy Spirit engaged and interacted uh, with humanity in a different way to the way that he does now. All of those sealing and guaranteeing and uh, depositing that I've spoken about is a New Testament way that the Holy Spirit engages with believers uh, in this life. In the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit would not necessarily indwell the entire nation. Uh, he would he would from time to time indwell uh, kings or he would indwell prophets or he would indwell um, uh, uh, priests as they performed specific functions. From time to time he would come down and indwell the entire nation or he would indwell specific people that had been tasked to specific um, tasks like those who were um, good at embroidery and those who are good at metalwork as they put together the tabernacle um, if I remember correctly they uh, they were spoke about um, uh, in 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 Exodus chapter 31 actually I found the reference in Exodus chapter 31 um, being filled with the Holy Spirit um, but this was not necessarily a permanent relationship um, and so for example in the Old Testament uh, we have Saul Saul for a period is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit leaves him and an evil spirit is sent uh, to plague him um, and so we see the temporary nature um, of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in Old Testament saints. In the New Testament though we have none of that and so a New Testament friend of yours who is a Christian who has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and is indwelt by the Spirit of God the Spirit of God is not going to depart. That doesn't mean that we can't grieve the Holy Spirit and that also doesn't mean that we can't quench the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit would be to hurt the Holy Spirit, to live in such a way, in, in such a mess with, with such filth um, that the Holy Spirit uh, is grieved by, by what we're doing. To quench the Holy Spirit would be as we are moved uh, to action um, to deny what the Holy Spirit is moving us to do, to to quench him um, even for a period these would be sins but they wouldn't result in the Holy Spirit leaving us rather even as Jesus promised to be with us even to the end of the age that promise is fulfilled by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within us um, guys lots of questions coming in I've, I've lost track <laughs> Where, where where I am in terms of uh, in terms of going through all of them, I'm I'm so sorry if I've missed your question. I will make every endeavor to come back and and answer it um, as as best as I, I possibly can. Um, 
Beverly, I see you have a number of other questions regarding the Chaldeans and evil spirits, the spirit of Babylon. Um, I, I, I don't actually know anything about um, the specifics of what you're talking about, Beverly. Maybe if you send me a little bit more detail, I can go and read into that and uh, and and give that a little bit of thought or get a little bit of background in terms of that question. Thank you so much. Um, uh, there's a there's a question uh, that or I don't know if this is a question or a comment um, which comes in Pastor Mark. My first contact with the gospel was sub A sub B at primary school. Uh, first subject was called scripture. Uh, why don't you uh, part of a world gospel movement uh, a fight for Bible scripture in schools? It's been stopped and schools can capture have been captured for other beliefs and uh, a list of of different uh, religions is given. And and the fact is that this will impact society as a whole and crime in any form is not favored by any belief that I know of. And um, you know, uh, maybe just to say, I, I, I don't know if this was a, a statement or a question, um, but just to say, I, I also notice with disdain uh, this reality that we don't uh, do um, uh, religious instruction in schools. It's an optional subject, I think, uh, in some high school uh, setups. Uh, religious instruction is available, but then it's a very broad ranging religious instruction. It's not specifically uh, Christian. I, I, I think that the world is, is worse off not having a solid uh, understanding of Judea uh, Christian values inculcated even at a young age within the context of our schools. However, it's not correct to say that religion has been completely cut out out of our schools we do not live in a secular state um, depending on the school governing body uh, pastors can go and be involved in devotional uh, readings and in explanations during uh, uh, during uh, a school assemblies uh, you can run SEAs within the context of local schools and so I would encourage you if you are a parent of a, a pupil who's in school and uh, and your question is because you would like to see more gospel within the context of the local school get involved with your school invite your pastor to go and meet with the principal and um, see if there's opportunities for the local church to be involved in the school and to present the gospel um, even to sabays or grade 1s and grade 2s uh, that the gospel message might resound in school setups um, even in our country again um, there is a uh, conversation regarding um, uh, poverty and uh, and steps to keep it in track I don't necessarily understand all the questions or how they relate you might want to uh, just uh, rephrase that question uh, into uh, with with maybe a couple of scriptures and and then I can engage with that um, there is from melody uh, the following uh, uh, statement good morning mark important about predestination issue um, mm. It's gone. Important about the predestination issue. You know well that predestination versus free will is a topic on which the church is divided. It's not helpful to present only one side of the story. It's better to present both views and let the person make up their own mind on the issue. Kind regards, Melody. So, Melody, I, I mean, I, I do. I, I hear you. I just don't think both views have equal weight in Scripture. And so I'm presenting the view that I hold to um, and I'm presenting it as I help as I hold to it um, but maybe to say uh, how does free will then fit into a person who holds to predestination and um 
because I, I do, I must acknowledge that God has given man a will. He's given man volition. It's part of what's what's wonderful about being created in the image of God. We read about that in Genesis chapter 1, uh, that we have this ability to choose. Uh, we have this ability to choose. But how does man exercise that choice, Melody? Um, and the answer is man exercises that choice by choosing not what is God's will and to God's glory, but by choosing against it. We see that in Adam, the first Adam. Uh, what did he do? Almost at the at the first uh, opportunity, instead of choosing to obey God and uh, and follow God's way and God's will, he went with Eve and uh, partook of the fruit, the one command which God had given him not to do, and exercised his free will by sinning. And that's how we invariably exercise our free will as well. Ah, sometimes we choose to do good if it suits us, but invariably man chooses to do evil, chooses to go contrary to the revealed will of God. That's how we choose to exercise our free will. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans makes it clear that even our will is uh, subject to our sinful state so that we choose to do that which we which we ought not to do and uh, we sin. Um, our problem is not that we have a sins issue, all these minor little, or minor and major little sins that we kind of list and if we just work on all of these sins we will resolve them. Our biggest problem is that we have a sin issue with a capital S. We have we have a sin issue and that sin issue can only be resolved um, by the person of Jesus Christ. If our wills are to be free, if we are to have freedom to, to choose to live our lives to God's praise and glory, we need new hearts. <laughs> we need hearts which are no longer hearts of, of cold stone but hearts that are living flesh. Um, and so you you pose the question um uh, in a sense uh, do humans actually have free will um well the truth is humans do have the opportunity to make choices that genuinely do affect our destiny um humans do have free will however that doesn't even mean that we can do whatever we please our our choices are limited to keeping um within our nature um you know uh, you 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 swim across a pool you don't walk across it in other words your 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 will never mind how much you will to walk on water you you just can't um so even our free will isn't isn't free um it, it's limited um by our our human frailties and our our human position um uh, and our free will doesn't mitigate our accountability um um so in other words just because we got free will if we do something which is opposed to the revealed will of god uh, we will be held accountable for that so just because god has given us free will uh, doesn't mean that we can we can do whatever we want no our free will is subject to god and we will be held accountable um, by God um, in the New Testament sinners are commanded commanded not suggested or asked over and over again to repent 
and to believe. Um, and every call to repent and to believe is a is a call to choose. Uh, it's a it's a call to exercise will. Uh, but the re- the reality is, even repenting and believing requires faith, and that faith is a gift of God. It's a gift that God gives us until God changes our heart, <laughs> changes our disposition. Even our exercise of our will will be tainted by our sin, and yet lovingly. God does change us. Uh, God does change the inclinations of our hearts that our affections might dwell on him and we might choose that which is in accordance with his will that he might be glorified in his uh, in our uh, glorified even in our lives um, and might live them to his praise and to his glory. Um Lots of questions coming in on a number of of uh, of things. I, I do see Llewellyn a few seconds ago. You posted um, um, pages of a book uh, that are highlighted. Very difficult to know um, what the question is. Um, I, I can see that you've underlined a couple of things, um, which might make it easy to. Um, to uh, to check it out. Okay, I remember Llewellyn. You wrote in a couple of weeks ago um, a view on a book. Llewellyn, maybe if you get the book to me, I'll be able to evaluate it and read it to one degree or another. Very difficult to comment on a book by screenshots um, on uh, on uh, on uh, on WhatsApp. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but thanks for the engagement and for the interaction in any event. Um, Penny says, Bibles banned in schools but freely distributed in prisons. That's the wrong way around. You know, Penny, I do quite a lot of work with the Gideons. Um, the Gideons are an association of uh, businessmen that are Christians. Um, they uh, produce, they they. Uh, are involved in printing or procurement of little Gideon Bibles. I'm sure you might have got one when you were a kid. Uh, I certainly got one when I was a kid. I graduated in 1994 and I can remember getting one when I came into Standard 6 uh, in high school. So that must have been around like, I don't know, 1988. I'm I'm getting old, guys. <laughs> I'm getting really old. Um, but it was a little it was a little Bible, um, kind of like a, I don't know, uh, a a six um, little Bible, a blue cover. I actually have my father's uh, Bible, um, Gideon's Bible, which he received. Uh, he gave that to me, gifted that to me a few years ago. And he also gifted me his father's Gideon's. Uh, his father was a sapper uh, for South Africa in uh, the Second World War in uh, Egypt, the Battle of Alamin, I think it is, or um, in Gedi, or oh, no, no, in Gedi's in in Israel, it was Alamin, I think. Um, I- anyway, I've I've got this collection of Gideon's Bibles at at home. Uh, the Gideons are st- are still active in schools. They um, they they uh, they collect money. They make donations. Uh, they they procure these Bibles and they go to schools and they have boxes of Bibles. They give Bibles to all the grade six learners. Uh, I think that's, what's that? Grade eight learners. Grade eight learners as they come into high school um, and uh, often work in partnership with a local church, um, often will work in partnership with a local pastor uh, who will get an opportunity to preach the gospel uh, during those events. And uh, uh, yeah, just love 
their, their ministry. And if anyone's listening in and is a Gideon, I just really want to say I, I've partnered with you guys at a number of schools on the East Rand, uh, at uh, schools like uh, Nordlich and uh, and Crystal Park High and Crystal Park Primary, um, along with Jahari Christian Academy and other schools. Always really um, enjoyed engaging and interacting with you and the work that you guys do by getting um, Bibles into schools. That's one way that Bibles can get into schools. But you know what? Bibles in prison, I'm not going to say no to that. Prison ministry is also just a, a, a wonderful ministry. And I think of organizations like Bible Way, which get good Christian context content into Bibles. Friends, schools, prisons, wherever we can get the Word of God into, we must do all we can, uh, while we can, uh, to call on people to turn to the person of Jesus Christ, that He might be glorified in our lives and in theirs uh, forever and ever. Can you believe that we are almost at 11 o'clock? Can you believe that it's time to sign out? I have enjoyed the questions that came in uh, thank you very much uh, for those of you who have engaged uh, with me even on the show this morning I really do appreciate it you guys uh, certainly do make uh, my Fridays uh, a great deal of fun um, each Friday um, even as I'm driving home I do pray for all the elders as well as deacons who hold the line in local churches as well as missionaries who serve in foreign fields my prayers and my much respect goes out to first responders, to police, to defense force, to those who disperse justice, to firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses and medical personnel. Might I also say to our nation's educators, that school teachers everywhere, as well as to, and I say this every week, correctional service officers. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We are going to be going to news shortly. Before we do, we're going to be listening to the Soweto String Quartet sing Oh Happy Day. No, they're probably not going to be singing. Playing Oh Happy Day. I love that song. So until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. God bless.